Welcome to the Hypnotic Healers Podcast, your home for insights and insider knowledge about hypnotic change work. With your hosts, control practitioners and hypnotists, Nicole Mazzucato and Anthony Gitch. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Hypnotic Healers. My name is Nicole Mazzucato, and as always, I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Anthony Gitch, on the other side of the pond. Um, As usual, our disclaimer, neither Anthony nor I, nor our guest today, I believe, are doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, or licensed medical professionals. So please do not make any changes to any treatments or medications that you're on based on the conversation you hear here today. Take what you like and leave the rest. And while you're leaving stuff, you might as well leave us a love, a like, a heart, a thumbs up, a really good review. Share us around with your friends. Show us some love. Hello, Anthony. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. You know what? Thank you for doing that for us. You're so <laughs> wonderful. How are you today, love? I'm I'm very well, and I'm really excited about a guest. So why don't we just kick straight off and, and let's and do it? <laughs> you want to introduce him? Everybody, I don't know how. I, I'm going to. I'm probably going to uh, kill your last name, but we're going to go anyway. It's Jamie <laughs> Vaseline. Is it Vaseline or Vaslianne? <laughs> To be honest, I, I kind of vary it to make it easier. Um, Vasilian or Vasilian? But oh, I think Vasilian. Vasilian might be easier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vasilian. That makes sense now that I see, now that I hear it. Yeah. Vasilian. Yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe I need to learn how to read better, huh? Um. Okay. I heard hypnosis can be really good for that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Welcome, sir. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm, yeah, I'm in a quite, uh, I think, a cheerful mood listening to. Um, Talking with you two, yeah. Good, After getting all week. the spiders out of your internet, um, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, the internet crashed. Um, so what that meant was I had a really busy today today with the podcast as well, and yesterday, but to, and uh, but today it was oh I get to chill a bit more earlier in the day, you know. So did a bit of meditation and that kind of stuff. Really, very right nice. For chatting with you. Now, I'm excited because Nicole says that you, and I looked at your webpage, and you work specifically with people that have ADD or ADHD, and I find this fascinating, and and the reason I do is because there's been so many, I, I see it in so many of the groups that I belong to online, this question. I've got somebody coming in and I've, they've got ADD. Can I work with them? And I always reply, oh my God, I had a client with curly hair. Could I work with them? Um <laughs> That's my opinion, right? Right. But it's going to be interesting to talk mm. to somebody who actually specializes mm. in it because to me, because I I am ADD, I grew up with that diagnosis as a kid. They had me on Ritalin when I was young and until my parents took me off. Mm. And so I don't look at it as a disadvantage at all. I look at it as my superpower um, because I can just do more than everybody else. Um So it's going to be interesting to see how you kind of work with this and, and, and kind of how you've, how you've developed what you do. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that, Anthony. That's, that's great to know. And I, um, you know, I admittedly, like a lot of people, how they feel about their ADHD, it's, it's often not like that. Um, Mm. You know, I've been in many like kind of support groups and then you see stuff, you know, people online, maybe, you know, in kind of online groups and, you know, you get into a bit of trouble if you talk about ADHD in such a positive way. Mm. Um, I think sometimes, no, no, you know, offense intended, but sometimes we kind of identify with our label, um, yeah. with a label and, and also the struggle we've been through and, and we kind of want to defend that, you know, I, you know, we went through the, 
where people that had, well, we wouldn't know that they had ADHD, right? Until we had, you know, till that name was made up by psychiatry. Right. And actually had different names, but at some point we were just lazy, bad, and stupid. And then at some point it was minimal brain dysfunction and hyperkinetic disorder. And then it was ADD, ADHD, and, and so on. But, um, you know, people wouldn't know that they had that. And, um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of changed over the years and our perceptions uh, changing. Mm. And there was an interesting study in the Journal of Learning Disabilities um, that I came across. Um, unfortunately, I haven't found a lot more of things like this, not exactly like similar stuff, but not exactly like this. But they looked at people with ADHD that grew up to be successful with ADHD. Kind of, I mean, what do we mean by success? I think that's kind of like, um, you know, I often question that that term because I think that's different for different people. Yeah. But I would say um, what we're talking about is people that are adjusting, you know, with ADHD or, or that are um, that are kind of you know able to do things that they want to do and, and and so on. And what they found was was that the number one thing that seemed to separate these two groups of people with ADHD was that those that were more um, well adjusted um, reported that they saw their ADHD differently. They saw it not so much as a disorder, but as a difference. And I yeah. think that's part of the, I think we're in a transition with that because, um, you know, we, we went into the medical re re you know, kind of revolution and it's, oh, ADHD, you know, you're not just bad, lazy, stupid, you have ADHD, which means that there's something kind of malfunctioning in your brain. It's not working properly. In fact, it's yeah. damaged. And um, we're here to give you you know, um, to, to repair that or, or, well, we can't really repair it, but we can give you medication and maybe some kind of um, therapy for that. And, yeah. um, you, you know, you'll always have it. And we kind of get this perception that it's a bad thing where people want to get rid of it. And I see a lot of that, you know, amongst a lot of people with ADHD or in groups. And it's actually quite challenging to talk about ADHD in a positive light. Um, or certainly it was until recently anyway. I always felt like I'd be under attack if I would, was, you know, and I can understand it because, Part of it is that you identify with it and there's and, and we've gone through this phase over a long period of time of it not even being recognized. Or you even when you get the label, you know, people around you might say, Oh, you know, I, I have ADD days as well, you know, as if it doesn't exist, as if it's something that you can um, you know, brush off as, as not really meaning anything. And so and so I can understand people's frustration and why some people would get upset and demand that um that, you know that ADHD really exists and we are in a sense like kind of like victims um so when we start to kind of find that the other side of it that's almost becomes controversial there says be a lot of resistance towards it but I think we're in the middle of that and that's one of the things I do with my clients is that you know when I learned that and I realized that I was doing that in myself and it sounds like maybe sounds like that's what you're doing Anthony would that be correct is that your perception of it is different yep. and um and that brings us into what would be called the strengths-based approach positive psychology and and um rather than focusing on the weaknesses we we focus on our strengths um and i find that's really important with adhd and yeah. um to redefine it so part of the work i do is um especially in our first session it's what i call the adhd mind management and mastery session we talk about how the brain works um what i call the user's manual of the mind i suppose it's quite a standard thing that a lot of cognitive therapists would do with their clients obviously i tailor make that focus it towards ADHD quite a bit. And then I talk about ADHD specifically, you know, what is ADHD? Um, the, you know, the environmental lifestyle factors that can make ADHD better or worse. And, and also looking at that question in more of, of um, labeling and, 
and, um, and and looking at the other side of it and then showing the clients that there is this transition, this, this these different phases we've gone through. And we know that because even the name has changed. Yeah. You know, today psychiatrists are like, well, we think maybe it's more of an executive function disorder. That's probably the core of ADHD. But if you go back in time, it was attention, then it was hyperactivity. So this is changing all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think that if we look at what's going on, and my brain tends to be good at noticing patterns. I think it's part of the skill of a lot of people with ADHD. I see, yes, and I can also yes. like, my brain seems to be able to predict things in advance of things a lot. Um, this is something that, that I also did personality testing, you know, like Myers Briggs, and actually said that, which of course isn't the same, isn't ADHD, but I think there's some potential links between that maybe and ADHD. Um, and um, you know, kind of personality type, and certainly we have a kind of a personality type. It says be creative and um, think outside the box, and she would say sensitive. These are these are in fact our positive traits. And um, and like I say, my brain has this ability to sometimes just what what I suppose we we sort of think of a scientist. Well, I did a Myers Briggs, and it said you would make a good scientist because you see patterns and you can connect dots. But of course, a scientist is methodical. They have to test, retest, and that kind of slow process. So we assume that scientists don't have intuition, that they don't. Of course, that's not true. We know loads of scientists who use intuition and, you know, Einstein daydreaming in a classroom, you know, imagining himself going at the speed of light towards the clock. We know that the, creative, that the, the creative process and intuition is definitely part of what makes a lot of scientists and inventors like, you know, um, Thomas Crick, um, but Mr. Fuller, that they were tapping into that creative state. And that enables them to be able to um, decide, well, what is important to look at? What is important to do research on? Do we just mm. randomly do research on stuff? Or do we think, okay, my intuition is telling me I have a hunch or I can see a pattern here. And yeah. so you're able to kind of estimate in advance. Of course, you still need to scientifically analyze it and do the research, but you're able to see in advance what is worth going after. Mm. You know, it's a bit like being um, Sherlock Holmes, being a detective, and you can connect these dots, see the patterns even before maybe yeah. other people can, and then you can kind of go do that. And um, and and that's the pattern I see with this process that we're in. There's the buzzword now is neurodiversity, and I do believe that we're we're moving away now from that ADHD as a disorder, and I believe we will move towards ADHD as a difference. However, just to complicate things, um, my brain is quite complicated. See subtle nuances as well. That I actually think it's both. I, I, I believe that there is ADHD. That's the clinical diagnosis when a person is struggling in different areas of their lives whether that's at work school family relationships whatever they're struggling with that they're, they're needing help they end up getting a diagnosis then they then they get help yeah but people can go into remission there are arguments made that people go into remission but ah well if we give them a brain scan and we can look at their brain and see that they still had ADHD we can predict that they had it but then I say well but then we know our brains are different anyway Mm. So the way I see it is that an ADHD brain is a brain that is different. You know, we assume our bodies are the same, but actually they're different. So is our brains. So our brains are actually different. And when we're under stress, when, when we're not in the, when, when we don't have the lifestyle or the habits and the environment in which we can thrive, our brains are a lot of stress. I call this the earthquake of ADHD. It's like the tectonic plates between your personality, your genetics and the environment, they rub together and then yeah. it creates stress. So someone might develop OCD or depression or anxiety. Other people develop ADHD when, they're, when, when this is not kind of in harmony. And then what happens is their brain reacts and they get these what I call the symptoms. So I see ADHD as the symptoms 
on a clinical level, and psychiatrists diagnose that ADHD. And when they say, oh, you'll have it forever, I agree with them in a sense, kind of like it's, it's a partial truth. Well, I'll always have a different brain. Yes, you could figure out that I, I have a quote ADHD brain, but my brain is no longer in kind of um, you know, stress mode. And when it comes out of stress mode into balance mode, it's like when people use the word dis-ease. So the opposite of dis-ease, I'm I'm now more at ease. I'm now there's a better match between me and my environment, my lifestyle, and the mm. internal and the external is coming together and it's a better fit. And there's more ease and 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 you know, you're feeling more at home and you're feeling more comfortable and safe. That's when the brain can heal itself. That's when we can start. And, and part of that is we can start to, we're starting to live the way that we're meant to be living. And that's different for each person. Yeah. Well, then you know, we move from much like what happened. ADHDs. Mm. Yeah. In, environment is a massive, environment is a massive thing here, right? Because at the end, I mean, you know, if you say people's, the, the brains are different. I mean, how structurally different are we, are we talking or very, very much? There's a massive environmental element here. I've, I work a lot. I've, I've got a lot of experience working in the education environment. The edu- education, educational institutions are set up in a certain way. Traditionally, they have been in a certain way to cater for a certain way of thinking. And if you didn't fit into that way of thinking and that way of processing information, you had a learning disability or a a learning difficulty, right? So, and then you're kind of put in a special class because you don't follow things the way that everyone else does. And I mean, from from my own personal perspective, I was quite lucky. Okay. So throughout school, I was labeled as lazy and, and didn't do, you know, wasn't, wasn't reaching my potential and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I got to university and had a, did a did a test and then got a diagnosis for dyslexia. And I think I was quite lucky to get that later on and be given a personal tutor at university who said, there's nothing wrong with you. Your brain's not broken. It just works in a different way. We need to figure out the way that your brain works and the way that you learn best. And then you'll be, you know, it'll be fine. The problem is you've been, you've been kind of trapped in this system that isn't designed for different ways of thinking so I think environment is a massive thing here and and the reframing I mean I love your your website ADD Vantage the you know the advantage of of your difference and and I really think that that reframing of this is is so important well I mean even what when you were discussing that you're you're the way that you look at it and the way of of you know becoming better becoming balanced right i mean it's it's much like someone going through a recovery program it's it's you know at the other end of that recovery program yes you are still or according to some people you know you are still an alcoholic for example but you're not a practicing right there's a difference between somebody who recognizes that there's an issue and 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 they're doing something different than what they used to do that brought them down that road, right? And and it's it's kind of almost. I mean, if you look at those tracks, they're similar tracks, different things. But you know, that's how they've handled their earthquakes, so to speak, right? Um, mm. In a, in a sense. Um, so yeah, I like the mm. way that you look at that. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I just chucked in the deep end there. <laughs> How did you get into hypnosis? Because I, I remember seeing a talk of yours and, and you know, ADHD, ADD, ADHD has been very much part of your journey. So what what kind of brought you into the world of hypnosis and, and, and helping people with ADHD? So, well, what happened was I, it was um, in my teenage years and it, funny enough, it was my mum um, and she was partly kind of. 
I said it was my mum. I used to watch Paul McKenna on television, the, the British hypnotist Paul McKenna. And I used to watch his TV show and, and be fascinated by, by the experiments and so on that they would do. Um, he did a photo reading kind of experiment on there. And I was reading about that as well. And, and I was looking into things like mind machine, like technology, like kind of um, brain stimulation technology and stuff. Even when I was very young. And, um, and of course, I, came, I was into meditation. But actually, I started meditation when I was extremely young, at seven years old. But that's another story in itself. How old are you may now? Have, I'm 43 now. Okay. Um, and the, the meditation obsession that I had at seven years old might be somehow related to ADHD in, in some way. Um, but anyway, so I had all these interests, this experience of altered, what we might think of as altered states of consciousness that I was exploring from a very young age. And um, I suppose these things, they all cross over, it all comes together, you know. Um, but hypnosis, I suppose, specifically was, as far as I can remember, was, was early teenage years. Um, that's about 13, 14. And my mum, I was watching him on television. My mum my mom actually ordered some videotapes back in the day of videotapes. Um, <laughs> well, how the age of the audience, but um, I, I think most of us will probably know what a videotape is. Um, but yeah, um, so these videotapes were kind of just one that was, um, I think she had one for smoking. And there was um, just one, like a, I think it was a relaxation kind of induction hypnosis thing. And so it's all by video, like images and suggestions and his voice and music. And um, so I did that. And I just sat there. And now, because in my meditation practice from when I was young, I would meditate my eyes closed. But I had this, this notion that you were also meant to maybe meditate with your eyes open, <clears throat> which is kind of strange, and also not to blink. Um, and... Um, since then, I know that can be part of some meditation practice. It can also be so that it may be um, an aspect of hypnosis as well. But so I was watching this video and watching the images on the screen, hearing the words, the suggestions, and um, just why well, it's a video. So I guess you can keep your eyes open. But I think he said you can close your eyes if you want. But I carried on my eyes open, and um, I had you never really... smoked. Well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never smoked. I never, ever, ever decided I would ever smoke because I watched that video. Um, <laughs> it solidified that. Um, yeah. I did, in fact, I did, in fact, smoke, and I used hypnosis to stop that. Um, that was, right. yeah. But, um, but that's another story. But, but I was um, watching the video, and what was weird was the well, I, I, I literally kind of tripped on it. I had, I had a, a kind of a some form of semi hallucination, I guess. Um, it, it was well, not a full hallucination. It's um, you know, the difference between there was a stimuli, and that was um, there was an image of the beach and the water was coming up on the beach, and um, in the kind of or quote behind. Obviously, it's not really behind. It's, it's, just, it's like special effects. There, there were there were words in the water which said kind of like go deeper or something that would appear right. in the water, very faint. Subliminal messaging. Yes. Well, it wasn't really subliminal. I could see it. I could see the words. Wow. I was aware of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that appeared in the water. But here's here was the crazy part. I mean, I was I, I I you know I just thought I was meditating or something, and I was kind of feeling relaxed. I didn't itch or anything. I didn't blink. I was just staring into the screen like that. And um, but what was really bizarre, and of course, this was something I'd never experienced before, was that the words actually came out of the screen. Mm. Um, now, I don't want to say this in my clients. If they expect like, stuff like that, like stuff like that is going to happen on their first session, well, I'm, you know, we're going to cause a lot of trouble here. But that was my experience. I actually saw the words 
pop out the screen like in 3D as if they were carved out and they went boing. And they kind of popped out the screen. It was like, go deeper. And the other thing was when I got to the end of this, he said, um, well, the end is such. It was, uh, he said, you can stop now or you can continue for another X. I'm not sure how long it was, another 20 minutes or something. And I wasn't sure how long I'd been there. It felt like I'd been there forever or no time at all. And um, I decided to carry on, got to the end of it and check how long it was meant to be. And I was kind of, I was blown away because I could only remember two things from what was about 14, about 45 minutes, I think. And it was, all I could remember was the water and the, the words popping out of the screen. And I could remember an image of a butterfly going like that. That was all I could remember from, from the whole 40 minutes. It was like, is that all I can remember? It was like I was just lost in space, lost in time. And um, and I said to myself, wow, this hypnosis thing really is something. Um, but a part of me was, was, was thinking, okay, well, that's cool. That's, that's kind of fun, interesting, kind of magical, I guess. But what else can it do? There was a part of me that realized, well, Okay, but what can I do with that? You know, make words pop out of a screen. That's, the, the part of me was, was asking the question, because I was asked this question when I, when I was a little kid meditating. Well, about the question of suffering, like, can this help with suffering? You know, there's so many people suffering in the world, myself included. Can this help with suffering? Um, and I suppose that was the question that, that came from that. And um, and I, I, I decided to get, get some books on hypnosis. I got a Paul McKenna book. And I was little bits in there. It was like he was talking about kind of doing an induction hypnosis like he would do on a stage show and, you know, dropping someone backwards onto the floor and stuff like that. And at that age, I thought, plus being a very slight guy, uh, I, I thought, well, um, I don't think I'm going to be dropping people to the ground, to, you know, doing this kind of fancy, crazy kind of hypnosis stuff. But there was kind of a script in there, a little bit of the script. That he, and he had like certain words um italicize like the hypnotic words and and suggestions or whatever um embedded commands and stuff like that um apologies to anyone watching that isn't a hypnotist but basically suggestions yeah. that was there and i i kind of use that, that in a way that became like my first script but i and i did kind of want to memorize these things i didn't know what else i didn't have any teacher such so i kind of used that but then i started to kind of by listening to recordings by him i started to pick up on the language and these suggestions and the tonality. And in fact, I became a really, I actually mimicked his voice to the point where I could literally, I can't do it now, but I literally would speak. I, just I like was going to say, I was sound a like Paul McKenna. <laughs> I don't think I can do it now. I'm, I'm really, no, it's like trying to get me to do, um, you know, like Irish, French or something. And I, I, I will not be able to keep keep, keep the uh, the voice. Um, but anyway, that's kind of how it started. And, um, mm. and I came across another book called um, hypnosis for beginners by William Hewitt and yeah, and I would record like this crazy long script going forever and it was very old-fashioned it was kind of like you are sleepy and he said you should speak in a monotone voice and it was very very long but it did work and I had some you know wonderful experiences that one of the things I learned from that that I think was very powerful instructive for hypnotists but instructive for everyone was that um I, because it was so, the way I did it, I, it wasn't self-hypnosis as in like close my eyes, hypnotize me. I would record it and I would play it and I would listen back to it. And um, when it was giving certain suggestions for whatever I wanted, I wanted, such as confidence or happiness or calmness, whatever it might be, 
um, I was in that monotone voice. And one day it dawned on me, hmm, if I'm talking about being happy, why would you say happy or or um, how, how, why would, so why would calm be? I've got to ask you this, because if, yes. you're, if you're talking about the whole monotone voice thing, that, that it just brought me up to my, uh, to my training, um, because, wow, that, that was quite, you've been doing this for a while then. If no, I'm not that old, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I've got um, 10 years on you. I've got 10 years on you. So, um, you know, when, but what is what I mean by that is, yeah, that's because I just, that used to be the idea that you wanted to have yeah, that yeah. very, and, mm. and, and so, yeah, that's, that's a very old Paul McKenna kind of stuff. Um, uh, that wasn't, yeah. Paul, no, that wasn't Paul McKenna. That was William Hewitt. William mm. Hewitt. Okay. And I think that was an old, a very old book and it was reprinted over and over. It's still oh, okay, now. Okay, it's a pretty old book. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, he was, the videos he was, were Paul McKenna, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's yeah. The yeah. videos were Paul McKenna, and I did, I did get a Paul McKenna book, but then there was another book yeah. by William Hewitt, yeah, yeah. and that was, I think that was, yeah, clearly, yeah. I'm pretty sure that, that he'd written that a long time ago, and it was still in circulation, and it was old, and I was therefore now practicing this very old method, <laughs> and I got it, so I got into a, a bit of a, um, you know, for a while, I got into this idea that, you know, I would just have the book, so I'm not going to, like, argue with the teacher, even though he might be, at, he might now be out of date, but hey, he okay. might be older now, and he, he might not even be here. Probably isn't here anymore. But back then he might have been there and he might have been like, oh, that book's out of date. Don't use the monotone voice. Maybe it should have been edited. I don't know. But but I just follow the instructions. I just, you know, I stuck to it. I don't know any better. So I did it and it worked. But like I say, but then it dawned on me when I was in hypnosis that what if I use a different voice? Like when I'm talking about energy, why would I say energy or energy uh, or just energy? Why wouldn't I say energy? Yeah. You know, why would it be like, Relax. Like, why wouldn't I use that voice tonality? Um, so I experimented. I recorded it again, and I, and then when it got to those suggestions, I used that tonality. And um, I remember the day where I said to my brain that you have more energy, you know. Um, and what happened was my brain, I literally felt it light up. Yeah. I was in hypnosis, in a trance, felt, you know, I was in a trance, and suddenly it was energy, and my brain just literally felt as if it was like buzzing, like hello you're talking about oh you're talking about energy now i get you not yeah. energy yeah the congruence because that doesn't sound yeah, 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 right? you yeah. gotta have that congruency there too i mean it's it's what we call leading the client when we right and right. i mean even with the kinesthetic squash there's a there's an old technique i used to use called mm. the kinesthetic squash mm. and we bring up all of these past things where we we build on those right and mm. and yeah it's I, I I I don't use those techniques anymore, but um, they certainly we we flat out in that when we say you know I, there's there's a part of it where we say and I'm sure that you can consciously gather what I'm doing here. I'm I'm leading you with my voice so we can create this energy now, and that's when we hand it over to them. Now I'm going to speak in a monotone voice, mm -hmm. and you're going to be able to touch those fingers together and create that same sensation without me leading you with the voice. Right, right, right and, exactly. And so it, it's an interesting way to do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't do it anymore, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. So I wanna ask you as, as a very, very seasoned and experienced meditator who came across hypnosis quite at quite a young age, and I've been asked this question before and I have my own ideas, how how do you know where where are the differences, where are the similarities for you between meditation and hypnosis? Wow, that's a good question. Um, 
I remember exactly there was there was a conference I, I did in Ashtag, I saw a conference years back where they actually spent a few days discussing that very question. <laughs> what are the differences and similarities between meditation and the hypnotic state? And to be honest, I, I think that's a bit of a minefield. Um, I'm definitely not the expert on that, but I do contemplate it a lot. And it's something I talk about a lot with my clients. And certainly we do mindfulness, meditation, hypnosis, and they kind of just, the distinctions just blur, as you're probably aware yourself. Um, mm. I mean, I would, it's hard to say, but I would say, kind. I mean, you could be doing a guided meditation, for example, that might have elements of visualization or, it, you know, um, and of course there may be a voice. If it's guided, there's a voice. And it's very difficult not to give suggestions. It's like, it's in a sense, it's impossible not to give a suggestion. Mm -hmm. Just by me talking about trees, you're going to think about trees. That in, that's I would actually say that's a, a suggestion. Yeah, it is. You can say, "Oh my God, you're controlling my mind." It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about trees. I'm going to drive you crazy talking about trees. Don't think about trees. Um, you're going to think about trees, but that's a suggestion. So when you do a guided meditation, when you're guiding someone through it, there's a suggestion. That, in a sense, we could say, "Well, isn't that what happens in hypnosis?" Um, there's classic breath meditation where you're just focusing on your breath and mm. kind of, you know, and I suppose there may be no guidance from anyone else or you're aiming not to be, you know, thinking as such or just being aware of your thoughts, but not engaging in them and following them. So I would say that I would say that's clearly I would say probably not definitely not hypnosis, but then there are similarities still. Um, you know, we are normally often in a more relaxed state and um, the um, there's changes in inside the body that occur that are very similar between hypnosis and, and, and meditative state. Um, and uh, but I suppose with hypnosis, it's maybe that that there is a more obvious intention involved, mm -hmm. and there is obviously more likely to be a lot more speaking. And clearly, we're getting suggestions. Yeah. There's a term that some people have come up. I've heard of recently where people talk about active meditation. And from what I can gather, active meditation um, sounds like a description almost of hypnosis. Um, well, you know, oh, you I'm in a meditative that, state, are, are but I have a, about, I like, have walking a... hypnosis. Like when we do when we do walking hypnosis or walking meditation, because um, I teach meditation, and, and there's there's three different forms of meditation mm. that I teach. There's inquiry, mm. there's non-inquiry, and walking or active. Um, mm. And, mm -hmm. and so my, my distinction between them is with, obviously, with inquiry, we're following whatever leaf comes down the, the river, so to speak. We're, gonna, we're going to not just observe it as it goes by. We're going to dive down into it and explore it and follow it down right. the river to its, you know. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we just allow things to go by, right? And there's different mm -hmm. ways of being mm -hmm. able to practice mm -hmm. those things. And so mm -hmm. for me... Listening to you, yeah, I, I agree with you. There, there's very few, there's a lot of similarities and not a lot of difference depending upon, particularly if you're doing self-hypnosis. If you're doing self-hypnosis and meditation, inquiry meditation is self-hypnosis, in my opinion. It's just not the same wording, right? It's because that's what right, we're doing. Right. We are creating, we're exploring, yep. and by doing so, we do create um, other avenues for the mind to go to, which is basically creating suggestion in a way. Right, right. Um, at least the way that I look at things. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. So I kind of you're helping me. Um, so this is how I, I how I would put it was when I'm working with um, clients, for example. Um, the the lines do kind of blur um well, like you say is there really any difference so for example 
I often start off by just getting the client to focus. Um, and of course, that's an element of hypnosis and meditation and pretty much anything in life. And then we kind of shift into more kind of like a mindfulness kind mm. of situation. It's more just be aware of whatever you're aware of. You know, you may be aware that you may be thinking about whether you're going into hypnosis or or not, or whether this experience is the way that you thought it might be and blah, 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 and notice your breathing or whatever. And mm. so really just about noticing what we might yeah. think of as mindfulness and then go, uh, might go to a more active approach, like, you know, that you're aware of your breathing. Isn't that interesting? Because a moment ago, you weren't aware of that until I mentioned it. It was an unconscious process, but now we're aware of it. So let, now what happens if we take a conscious breath, we're kind of understanding that we can, we have some control over our automatic functions and breathing is one thing that we can take control of. So now what we thought was, well, was subconscious now becoming more, seems to be more of a conscious activity. Um, mm. And um, then in that process, for example, so what, what you said, Anthony, about with inquiry. So for example, one of the things I do with clients is um, I, especially around like strong emotion, it might be that we kind of take a mindfulness approach. But what I tend to do most of these days is start off with a mindful approach. But then I, I, I describe it to the client as if this is stage one. We can go a step further and go into stage two. So it's kind of like you're just aware of this emotion. <clears throat> Realize that you're the awareness that in which this emotion is rising. You're, you're aware of this emotion. Mm. And it's, it's like it's there, but you're here and you're aware of it. So that's the kind of separation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right speech on. like it's it's like i am aware of it i am not the emotion well you're um, teaching them but, how to be an observer often, so i teach them. witness observer yeah yeah and then i go to i i, I also in two stages it's like we're going to go to stage the second phase which is what would happen if we were to dive into that emotion and explore it mm. and i give them a bit of a pre-talk um often on this or i do it in the hypnosis that i described this um, that it's kind of like what would happen if there was something that you were you know, apprehensive about or, or anxious about is, is that the, it, the anxiety would rise, but, but then at some point it comes down the other way. It's like going up a mountain. You go up a mountain, well, yeah, you're going to get to the top. You can't stay at the top forever. Yeah. Well, you can if you yeah. want. You can, you can set up and stay there and stay yeah. there and you know, yeah. camp out. But what I mean is you get to the top. The only way now is there's no more up is now it's down and it's kind of like that when we have these strong emotions they're on a wave what we tend to do is we tend to avoid it and resist it but what that means that makes it worse that means that we never get to even if it's just as our imagination imagines most of our is our fear is mostly just our imagination like mark twain said most things we fear it i found they never ever ended up they never happened so we spend more time kind of being frightened of something and anxious about things Mm. Um, we fight ourselves to death and then the actual situation may not be anything like that at all maybe the complete opposite we just create it all in our mind so when we avoid that we just we just hold it off we just drag it out it's like when i funny enough when i did my hypnosis kind of training as in my kind of you know i've done quite a few a number of hypnosis trainings but this is where i got my certificates and that was in 2011 when it was like oh now i'm a now i'm a you know professional hypnotist i work with other people and that kind of stuff and um, I was asked to memorize our consultation, uh, or sorry, our first session, where we talk about how the brain works. And it's a lot, it's a lot to, um, to deliver in the first session. And to memorize it, I thought that was, you know, 
Um, I, I honestly thought that was impossible. So I put that off. I wanted to go last. But by putting it off and going last, I kind of made it worse because I just built up more and more anxiety, you know, by the time I got there. And and then when I did it, it was just that kind of sense of relief. Why don't I just get that relief earlier? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I did when I was young, why I didn't apply that in this situation, I don't know, but um, not perfect. Um, <laughs> when I was young, um, something I, I, I started to do was, was to face my fears, like in meditation, rather than to not think about them, to say, okay, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? And to allow myself to go through that process from like beginning, middle to end. Now, this reminds me of... Um, may or may not be that popular depending on, on on yourselves or the audience but i heard jordan peterson say uh, some uh, something that's stuck in my mind here which is um that an unknown unknown is more is more kind of frightening than a known unknown right and so that's kind of that for me helps me understand that it's it's like okay this right now, this is my imagination. What I'm fearing is in my, it's literally in my mind. It's not the actual event. And by resisting, by resisting this, what's happening is I'm turning it from a, a known unknown into an unknown unknown. Cause I'm never ever allowing myself to fantasize the conclusion yeah. to this awful scenario that I'm imagining. Mm -hmm. So what I actually do, and the crazy thing is, is that I've used this with, the funny things I've not often, I often use this technique when clients are at their lowest, I mean, often when I've got clients that are that are like you know in tears or or really like um, Jamie, in a lot me, of stress let me just ask and, you, and let me just ask you a question. Yes. Um, so, in, what what do your clients what because I'm you specialize in in a, in ADHD? What are they? What are the majority or what's the kind of the what are they coming to you to work on? Do you know what I mean? Like they're not coming to get rid of the ADHD, right? That's not that's not what's on the table here. So what are people mostly coming to you for in terms of relief? Mm, good question. So, um, well, it's it's normally, you know, it's normally activity. It's normally productivity. It's getting things done. It's, right. it's stopping procrastinating and those kinds of things and being able to focus. Um, one of the things I've learned from that, however, is that well a lot of things i've learned from it we need to be kind of patient with patient with ourselves we need to have compassion for ourselves mm -hmm. that's i think that's probably the number one is having compassion so we have to change our mindset we have to have like an attitudinal change um towards ourselves around our progress and our performance so i promote strength space you know taking a strength-based approach and um, what would be called growth mindset, focusing on your progress, each little step that you're taking. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people with ADHD tend to do is that, and I've, <clears throat> it's like, I've sometimes had to point this out in sessions because they've made an improvement, but they just say, call it a fluke or just say, yeah, yeah but I should be able to do that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And this is the kind <laughs> of thing. doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, I don't. But I, I, I observed that one a lot. Um, yes, and, um, and the way I explain it is, imagine your unconscious is like a seven-year-old. What would happen with a young child and they do something, you only tell them off when they do the thing you don't want them to do when they're being, quote, bad. Yep. And then when they're doing the right thing, they're being, quote, good, then you don't say nothing. Right, 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 right. Yep. What does the child, what will that child do? They Revert will start back to, to the bad behavior. They will, yes, they will do more of that 
Yep. They'll start throwing spanners, or, you know, in the works and, and doing more of that behavior that you, that you don't want them to do. Anything so, we can do to um, get attention. Yeah. <laughs> so what I explain to my clients is, whatever it, little improvement you notice, don't you can think obviously it may or may not be a fluke. I'm not saying it's that that it's the result of your intention last week or as a result of the hypnosis, but just play the game of assuming because your unconscious mind is always there listening, assuming that that is not, well, it is, it is what you asked for. And you, there's a part of you that did do that. And you're mostly subconscious. So your subconscious was a part of doing that. So give yourself a pat on the back. Give your subconscious, like shake hands with your subconscious, say, well done, I want more of that. Because as soon as you acknowledge it, you're actually pointing at it and saying, that's what I want. I'm affirming, yes, please, more of this, more of this. Give me more of that. And you're generating a good feeling around it, which then causes you know, your subconscious to kind of recognize, okay, this is what we want. You like this, let's do more of this. And in control is what we do with the control system um, or the way that I utilize it anyway. It's like, you know, we talk about crew members, right? We, we, the, the, the way that we use the analogy is that these behavior patterns are crew members on a ship, right? Mm-hmm. And we create a direct line of communication with them. And it's like I explained to my, my clients, especially the ones with kids, you've got that mm-hmm. kid at home, you've asked it to do a particular chore. And at the end of the week, you've said you're going to take them to Disney World if they do this. And then all week long, they do the behavior you want them to do. But then that Saturday comes along and you're too busy and you don't recognize and and you don't do what your end of the bargain was. Mm. They're going to revert back to that old behavior. So Mm. when we recognize it's, it's celebrating our wins. And and they also learn from that, that if I do something that you ask me to do, I'm not going to reap the reward. So why bother doing anything you ask me to do? That makes change harder, right? And so when we recognize, and and I tell my clients, I use myself as an example with the change work that Mm. I do with my little dog when I'm walking, you know, it used to piss me off that people would go flying by us on the street, you know, at 20 miles over the speed limit. And, and, and I did work around that. And when I started recognizing that it no longer bothered me, I celebrated every single time a car went flying by me and my dog, I would recognize that, hey, I didn't get angry or upset. I just let them be what they were being. And this is great for me. Thank you, guys. This is what it's all about. And now I don't get that way anymore. Right. And, mm. and this is what people need to understand is that we need to celebrate those things, because if we don't, no one's going to do it for us. Yeah. Right. Even as a I often, I'm not there. Yeah. 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 I often exactly. talk about, I often talk about, you know, if you're, if you're, let's say you're, you're working in a company, right. And your, your boss is a real asshole and constantly mm. telling you, you know, you're crap at your job and you're not doing enough and you're not good enough. And, you know, constantly putting you down and reprimanding you, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel crap. You're not going to be motivated to do your job. And it's not sustainable long-term, right? You're going to be miserable. You're going to get sick. You're going to be taking time off work. You're basically being run, you're running off of a fear program, right? Right. And and that's the only reason, that's the only thing that's keeping you there. Whereas if you've got a boss that's constantly telling you, hey, how are you doing? You're doing a great job. Love your work. This could do with a bit of improvement. Let's sit down and work on this together. How are you going Mm -hmm. to feel? You feel, you feel good, right? You're excited to be there. You're excited to be mentored and, and, you know, lifted up by this person. It's much more sustainable long-term. So, you know, be the boss to your crew members (laughs) <laughs> that you want to go to work for, right? Yeah. That you want right, to lift right. the company up with them. Mm. Yeah, that that analogy. Well, both analogies are really good. I often use the analogy of you know family and also work. And one of the things is um, I kind of learned this a lot as well 
when moving from, you know, working from someone else where I had the structure I had, you know, and, um, and then working for myself, oh, I've got to create the structure, but also then a recognition, wait a minute, I'm the employer and the employee all at the same time. And if I'm procrastinating, I've got to ask a question, um, you know, why that is. And obviously there are some things about ADHD we need to understand that we need to make consequences, kind of bring them forward and make it more apparent because we, we you know, we tend to not live in the now. So we need to bring it forward and make ourselves aware of it. Um, we can do that kind of visually. We can um, do that kind of um, externally. Um, with ADHD, we need a, lot, need a lot of external ways to do that, but also we can do it in hypnosis or internally. And I think it's, it's ideal to do both because we're kind of, that's where we get the energy behind it. Um, but also it was just the realization, oh, okay, um, what's, and oh, one of the things I've learned, um, and I, you know, this is something my clients learn too, but it's quite challenging this one because it's that we get into a loop. So say for example, you've been procrastinating on your work or in your business, and then you're staying up late, as a lot of people with ADHD do to catch up on all of it, reverse revenge, procrastination as they call it and but now they're waking up in the morning with less energy and mm. feeling you know and sleeping later and then they're back in the, they're in the same loop because now they're procrastinating even more because their energy is low they're less mo motivated they've got you know they, they they got up later or whatever and now they're doing more of the same and then they're staying up later again and what happens is it's just circadian rhythm disorder and it's just going like this and like this and like this and so what I learned was you've got to make a you've got to make a choice at some point. You've got to say, um, okay, I can see what's going on here, where this is going. Now, either I keep on that kind of merry-go, uh, well, the hamster wheel and say, no, I need to keep running faster, causing more stress, however, and it's not solving anything, or I say, wait a minute, um, I need to nip, nip this in the bud at some point. I need to decide from today that even if I'm behind on work or whatever, that I'm going to go to bed earlier. I'm going to I'm going to go to bed earlier because I know if I get up earlier, I've got the energy, and then I can break out of this loop that I've got myself stuck in. And of course, people with ADHD don't choose to do that. It happens for various reasons, and part of it is is the kind of the wiring that we have and the tendencies that we have that will kind of make it easy to go in that direction. But we have got to still make that that realization and that choice to say that you know that that needs to be nipped in the bud we need to break that somewhere to be able to create a new pattern um and so for me it's been very important um working for myself to see that i'm both the employer and, and the employee yeah. and um rather than saying okay well you're going to stay up now i'm going to punish you and you're going to be up till you know and you're, you're going to be and i thought about what would my boss do i say well, i was working with someone else they they even though they might be upset and they might, you know, reprimand me, they probably wouldn't say, well, you, well, it depends on your boss, but I guess some do, but it's never happened to me, luckily enough. Kind of thing that would happen at school. You're going to stay behind for, you know, the next, until three in the morning until you got it done. But, but I got beat back in at work and sit, well, so what is your own fault? You've got to, don't sleep tonight. You've got to get yeah. it done. But okay, but we've got to be a bit fair here because it's a bit like with, with kids with ADHD where, and it ha this happened to me as well. We ended up in detention all the time. Um, and now we know that to put a child with ADHD into detention 
Oh my God, well, they're the bored <laughs> and telling them to write lines <laughs> is the worst thing you can do to their brain and their yeah. ability to perform. They're going to get worse. You're not going to solve anything. So yeah. similarly, you've got to be a good boss yourself. Um, yeah. you gotta, you kind of got to have that compassion, that understanding. You've got to be kind of, it's like soft. You've got to balance soft and tough love and say, okay, I got I'm tough love. I can see what needs to change. I've got to do this. This is not, I can't carry on like this. Let's do this. The soft love is, Soft love is, um, okay, but I'm not going to punish you and keep you up all night because it also just wouldn't, wouldn't help anyway. So let's, yeah. let's, let's change this pattern. And um, that's something I see a lot of, um, you know, and, and also not just, you know, just generally with, I think, especially with, with uh, procrastination and getting things done in performance, yeah. that it's, funny enough, it's the more you learn to relax the more someone relaxed or the more time they spend maybe rather than saying, oh, I'm up all night or I got to get all this work done so I don't spend much time with my family or my children. What I've seen over and over again is that the people I'm working with are starting to spend more time, a little bit more time with the kids and the children doing something for themselves, starting to lose some of that guilt yeah. and that, that you know, yeah. or those bad feelings and allowing themselves to do a little bit more of that and their performance starts to improve a bit. Right. And they go, oh, wait a minute. What if I, oh gosh. Well, of course, it was always about getting a balance. We weren't, yeah. weren't here to work hard. We're here to work smarter and, and have a balance between working and enjoy life. Yeah. We yeah. are not here to work. Yeah. We are here to experience that which we have created. Right. That's yeah. my That's even- thing. So as, like as we as we start as we start to wrap up, Jamie, we, we spoke about this before. We like to ask all of our guests to share share an, uh, an experience, a learning experience, a learning curve with our listeners. Um, pretend it could be something, you know, with a client or something in business where, you know, something didn't quite go to plan. You reflect and you're like, oh, gosh, yeah, no, I'd never do that like that again and, and made an adjustment. And this is what you learned. So do, do you have something like that to share with us? Must admit, having a this kind of brain and quite a number of things are popping into my <laughs> mind. I'm not sure which one to choose. Um, I mean, if I looked back, I mean, I spent many years like thinking about um, whether I should um, specialize or generalize, and there's also debates on that. And I'll be honest, for me, I'm not saying there is a right or wrong answer to this. Um, you know, I, I think there's pros and cons, but um, I hear bunch of people saying oh no no it's risky you should ge- you should generalize help everyone because you're a beginner so work with everyone and then other people say no 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 you're a beginner so you should specialize because such and such and i'm like what's the answer like both giving good arguments and but for me it was in the end it was although i did generalize originally and work with people with all sorts of things i would trap people with stress anxiety depression and trauma that although that was great and we had great results for people but um i there was there was for me i didn't have the motivation i didn't have enough motivation mm. and so it meant i struggled with a lot of things as well it just felt like i didn't even though i love hypnosis um and i love helping people and but it still wasn't enough and when you have adhd you have to find what i call your adhd dynamo and i saw wonderful article recently in attitude magazine by a young person wrote that almost like a letter to parents and it said something along the lines of what you need to understand is that your child isn't you and they're not here to do what you do 
they've got to do what they're here to do to be able to switch themselves on. And when you've got ADHD, you can't afford not to find your dynamite and switch yourself on. So for me, it was, um, it's not the only thing in my life, but certainly in terms of this, it was, for me, it was specializing. And for me, it was, it made sense, ADHD, you know, that there was enough passion behind that. And um, and I would say, I know that's a mistake though. Um, what I did, I would say that, that is a mistake. Um, but looking back, uh, I would I would would have gone straight into specialising in ADHD, um, you know, if I was given that chance again. So in mm. that sense, um, yeah, it's something that I would I would change if I was in a time if I had a time machine available. It's, <laughs> it's definitely a debate that we've had on this podcast a couple of times, and and um, yeah, with a with a couple of guests as well. Um, it, it, like you say, it's very much there's there's arguments for both sides, right? There's arguments for being a generalist. There's arguments for being for being a specialist. But I do, you know, I think you're right. If you've got that thing that really it's spark, you know, it's your spark, it's your passion, and and it, it's like, yes, I'm going to get up and talk about this today. But I think the problem is if you're work, you're trying to specialize in something that you're really not that sparky about, then it's going to be so much harder for you to right, to push right. forward. Right, or but, that you mm, don't even have mm. any experience with. I mean, you sure. know, <laughs> it's like people. I mean, I'll tell you what. I I don't. This is this is this is probably this is the most positive statement. But folks that um, like I, I I know this person who specializes in transgenders, and he's a heterosexual male. I'm like, to me, I'm like, how does this person relate? to what these, this, this group mm. is going through. Mm. Right. I mean, it's not, I don't think that, I'm glad that he's doing it. Right. And I, and I'm sure that he's helpful, but I, I oftentimes wonder how can they relate to what is actually being experienced if they've never experienced being hated just for being. I understand what you're saying, but I do know of other mm. people. So Scott Jansen, for example, never smoked in his life, became an incredibly successful smoking cessation. Right, right. Well, you know, that's, that's. Uh, but I get, I get, I get, again, I get the different. I get uh, the, yeah. I think it's kind of, I think yeah. again, it just kind of, there's, there's many different ways of, um, yeah. I, I thought a lot about that. I'm thinking, you know, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not, I'm not the right person to, to, to be working with yeah, ADHD because I've got, because I, I've got it, but you know, yeah. 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 I mean, that's why. But, but there's, but, with... but there are definitely, I think there are definitely some advantages, I for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. Pardon the pun. Uh, but um, <laughs> I, I, I do think, that I, and one of the things that happens, of course, is that clients like you have ADHD too, right? Or yeah. you saw the video. I said I have ADHD. Yes, I have ADHD, and they're like, yeah. oh, okay. And of course, people, it can help, I suppose, in making that connection. It can help them um, in some ways. You know, uh, maybe some people think the opposite. They think, oh my god, I want to be, you know someone with ADHD is going to help me. Um, but but for some people, that seems to really be yeah. something they're looking for. It seems to help and help make that connection. Um, well, I think like sometimes you, when I'm working with younger people, right? yeah, yeah, you've got the inside It's like inside knowledge. I, I've got the brain like you have, and yeah. I understand. I haven't read this in a book. I haven't researched it. I haven't gone into university and like, uh, or whatever, and become a psych or whatever, and then learn about ADHD. I've got the brain. I've got yeah. that kind of brain. And I'm learning about it partly, literally through experience life mm. experience and not just the experience of struggling with it but then figuring out how do you get this thing to work well yeah <laughs> you know, it's what i tell me. people and then like... it's like now if i get it to do this okay could i somehow translate that into helping other people and right. to some extent i think you can carry that over and i think it's a kind of like embodying it i thought about the, 
you might mention Jensen the smoking. Maybe it's kind of like he never smoked. Maybe he, maybe he embodies the the um, kind of the archetype of being you know non-smoking. I don't know, yeah. but 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 I suppose I'm kind of um, embodying um, having this kind of brain, but um, finding a way to not want to get rid of it, but learning how yeah. to make the most of it and live with it. And and use it to its full potential, and I suppose that's what I'm embodying, and that's what um, I'm offering to my clients. I'm not offering to some. Yeah. I think think that their 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 problems are going to disappear. ADHD is going to switch off. Right. Um, well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's like but, telling people, helping them understand not. that you've walked, you've already walked through the swamp. You yeah. know the path. You know a way out. It may not be their particular way out, but you know a way out, and you can help to show them that journey, and then they can explore what is going to work for them in their yeah. little particulars on that path, right? Yeah. And I think that that's what's important for people to understand is that we may not have all the answers. It's not, it's not for us to have the answers. It's for us to be able to shine a light, and you yeah. discover what those answers are for yourself. Yeah, for sure. Right, right. And I'll be right. very honest. I've I've learned things from my clients too, and yep. I've yep. even learned things. I shouldn't say even, but when I work with children, I've learned things from them. Some of the things I've seen in the children I work with just amaze me. In actual fact, it's um, quite astounding. You wouldn't think that a, a young, maybe you know, like an eight-year-old, if you were to sit there and ask them, you know, what would happen if a miracle happened, or you know, what do you really want, yeah. or you start asking them kind of coaching questions, the responses that I get from children are often, you know, they can put adults to shame, to be honest. And I kind of wonder, <laughs> how does this child have ADHD? And, and then we do the hypnosis. <clears throat> and then and then some assumptions like people with ADHD don't think about the future. I've literally had young clients like eight years old um, that, that really have thought about the future. You know, they are thinking about the future. They are, um, they're even they're even thinking about in the future. I'm not, you know, I don't know whether this actually they'll do this or not. Like, like I want to do this in the future. So right now they're like, I'm practicing. I'm doing that now. I'm doing things because I want to be a policeman yeah. when I grow up to be, you know, when I'm when I'm older. So now I'm learning about being a policeman and I'm practicing these things because. And I think, well, they are, they are. And maybe they will or not be a policeman. I don't know. Maybe they'll realize because people don't necessarily know what they want to do straight away. They sometimes have to kind of experiment, and explore, and they find out. But maybe. Mm -hmm. Right now, they are practicing to be a policeman or to yeah. just like when I was younger, I guess I was, um, if you'd asked me, Jamie, what do you want to do? I would have told you a number of things. Here, here's a funny one. I thought I should share this, but I, I, I think I'm going to scare um, clients, but I'll share it with, with you guys anyway, but um, and everyone listening. Um, but, but which is um, when I was younger, there was a number of things I wanted to be. One was a writer and I kind of, I'm kind of, I'm a kind of a writer. I liked a lot of communication. Um, also, I um, I want to be an artist. And I want to be a musician. That didn't go too well, um, but I have taken up the violin over the past few years, and that's something I'm not great at it, but it's something that I'm passionate about, and I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful hobby. Um, and the other one was I want to be a brain surgeon. Hey, well, I don't know, I don't know where, that, where that one came from. <laughs> well, so I realized <laughs> at some point. When I grew up, I, I don't, well, you tell me, Nicola, what do you think? <laughs> well, in, in, in a sense, you've become, you know, a, a kind of brain surgeon, a brain surgeon without having to cut into people's heads. So, um, yes. <laughs> ah! Okay. I, 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 I always avoid um, sharing that, but I, but I did. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it was like, oh, I'm squeamish. So, hey, this is a non-invasive way to kind of help exactly. people make changes. 
Exactly. Mm. Jamie, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. We've really, really enjoyed the conversation. We'd love to have you back on in the future to, to talk more about your work and, and maybe focus more on, on working with kids, because that's, that's a really interesting area for us to explore further. Um, but we really thank you for giving up your time and, and for being and joining us here on Hypnotic Healers. Um, we will post your your web address in in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Yeah, great website, by the and, way. Um, yeah, we love your website. You. So yeah, well thank done. you so much. Thank you. And um, uh, I've really enjoyed today. It's been, it's been yeah, it's been great fun. Good. Uh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. We literally just like we had a we had a chat over coffee, literally. Good. In, exactly. Yeah, it, it was like it was. I, I cut out caffeine anyway. It does does not yes, does always. not do well for my brain. But 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 that was actually some kind of caffeine-free alternatives so there you go That's right coffee. on <laughs> thank you so much jamie jamie vaseline and um we'll 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 um we'll speak to our listeners soon take care everyone brilliant take care everyone thank bye. you bye. thank you jamie bye for now. thanks for listening to the hypnotic healers podcast don't forget to leave us a review and follow us on facebook you can also join our mailing list at hypnotichealers.com